Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing blessings of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes that focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages if you would like to find out more about the incredible things that God is doing through our church family. It's so good to be back with you this week on the podcast. I just got back from seeing a member of our church who had a lung transplant not too long ago. He and his wife have been through so much. It's put their life at a standstill. It's changed everything in their routine. And it is so neat to be in a living room with them and to see their faith in action. That even during these valleys, the several setbacks they've had to endure, they know that their Savior is with them. And they know when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, there's no doubt about that. And it just made me think a lot about where we're going this week in our conversation when it comes to the story of Thomas. Now, Thomas, throughout his life, as we see it in the Bible, he vacillated between the twin towers of unshakable confidence and wishy-washy uncertainty. However, faith is as strong as the one on whom it rests, and Jesus' loyalty and love blessed this disciple with a new resurrection conviction. It does the same thing for us. God meets us in our doubts, meets us in our fears, meets us in our hopelessness, and he answers us with the undying message of his grace. His grace that not only covers our sins, but motivates us and reminds us that nothing in this life can shake our God. And I'm just so excited to talk about Thomas and especially how Jesus responds to him with compassion and love. It had to be too good to be true. For an entire week, all his friends had told him the exact same story, but he just couldn't believe it. He had witnessed his best friend, his mentor, his hope, chained, abused, and killed. Nothing anyone said could give him hope. He knew this was his personality, this back-and-forth struggle of devotion and despondency, and now he believed he would be devoted to despondency for the rest of his life. He felt like he had lost everything but his physical breath. What he thought life was about was void and bare. And where he thought his life would go, directionless. The friend he thought he would always have taken from him. Nothing could move him. No matter how many of his buddies told him they'd seen Jesus alive, he couldn't accept it. It must be a delusion, a nasty trick of grieving. I know we're starting off on a pretty heavy note, but it's this moment in time, this time in the life of Thomas that we're not only going to explore today, but we're going to see how he was so much more than just a doubter, despite his lasting nickname, Doubting Thomas. This man, who once said he was willing to die with Jesus, now we find him a week after the greatest day ever, Easter, feeling more alone and uncertain than ever. Thomas longed for something every Christian wants, and really every, every human being wants, and that's 
assurance. We want to know the reason why. We want to know that we're not a walking mistake or coincidence. We want to know that Jesus is who he says he is. We want to know without any doubt that there is truth. And even more than that, there is hope that never fails us. What's at the heart of doubt? It's a two-sided coin. One side says, this is far too good to be true. And the other side says, I don't want this to be true. And going deeper still, doubt is our struggle for never failing hope. The desire we have to know the answer to Thomas's God question, how can I know all of this is true? That question, how can I know all of this is true, continues to echo in closed rooms all over the world as it did with the disciples. And I actually got to hear one of those echoes in the closed room of my office. It wasn't too long ago I got to enjoy some Keurig coffee with a woman who is not only new to our church, but new to Christianity. She had been invited by a member of ours, and she told me point blank, Pastor, I, I've never read the Bible in my life. And as we got talking about life and who Jesus is and the scriptures, she had this look, a mixed expression of skepticism and cautious hope. How do we know Jesus is who he says he is? And many have tried answering this question with logical proofs, apologetics, rational arguments, all of which have their place in the conversation, but none of them can sense the emotion behind the question. When you're searching for God, Whether you're a new believer or you've been a believer for as long as you can remember, wherever you are on that spectrum, often we're confronted with the temptation to wonder, what if all this is wrong? In moments especially of loneliness, when you look at your life and how shockingly different it has gone, when you see your friends experience happiness while you wonder what's wrong with you, in moments as a single person, when you seem so behind in your life, in moments as a teen, when people keep asking you who you want to be when you grow up and you feel childish, when you say, I don't know, when you're retired and you're watching your spouse and you're trying to care for them and you're exhausted while doing it when you don't have assurance hope is hard to find and when hope is hard to find it's often there that satan himself coaxes us to to demand that god give us hope according to our terms and conditions thomas could empathize with you think about it for a whole week he overheard so many conversations about Jesus being alive. All of the disciples kept on telling him, we have seen the Lord. For whatever reason, Thomas wasn't in the room that evening of Easter Sunday when Jesus visited them. And yet as he sat in that same locked room a week later, he had to have thought, if you've seen the Lord and are so sure of this, why are you still in this locked room? Why are you still afraid of Jesus' enemies? It convicts us and shows us that sometimes one of the biggest hindrances of assurance in what Jesus has done sadly comes from us, believers like you and me. We're quick to rejoice and delight in Jesus when we're together. But when we leave this sanctuary or when you turn off this podcast and go back to your daily life, that taste of heavenly community that we get to enjoy When we continue our wandering as strangers in this dying world, often we keep our joy locked up, contained, and hidden. I'll be the first to admit that. See, Thomas didn't see any real change in the fears his friends had. What they had seen and reported to him wasn't enough. And so Thomas makes demands over what he must see to have hope again. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe 
he was demanding that God give him certain hope in the way he thought was best. It's embarrassing for me to admit, especially as a pastor, but I have been guilty of demanding much the same of Jesus. Maybe I haven't in my life demanded that he show me his hands inside, but I have pleaded with him to take away a struggle with sin. I have gotten angry with him for taking someone I love, even though I prayed they would live. I've often longed for more than the Bible to give me the assurance I want. And I have a more than sneaking suspicion that you've been in that same despondent place too, next to Thomas and me. You want to start the next stage of your life, maybe, to get married and have kids, and you pray and you pray and you pray, and your life status remains the same. You pray that God give you the right job and career, but it doesn't seem to happen. You pray and pray that God give you some rest after all the things you're doing all the time. Rest from the uncertain thoughts you're wrestling with. You pray and pray that God show his certain love by keeping your rent down and ends up going higher than you thought possible. And you're on a fixed income and you think, oh, how in the world am I going to make ends meet? You ask God for hope. It feels like it's just not coming your way. That's the lonely place Thomas was too. And Jesus met him where he was at. This dear friend whom Jesus had seen go from total devotion to total despondency again and again. He would approach him as personally as he could. He would graciously give Thomas what he hoped for, but he does something breathtaking before he does so. Jesus appears in this locked room. Our glorified, risen, total God, total human Savior, whom no barriers can hold back. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. He speaks peace to the hearts of the afraid and doubting future leaders of his church. And this is no ordinary peace that Jesus is speaking of. And so often when we think of peace, we think the best version of peace is a lack of conflict or a ceasefire or a feeling of calmness within, something so subjective and uncertain. When Jesus says peace, he's actually giving you what the word says. It's not an empty word package that looks lovely on the outside but does nothing. It's peace that's filled with a heavenly reality, far more beautiful even than the beautiful covering of God's word in which it's wrapped. The peace Jesus gives you is the unchanging reality that nothing and no one can disrupt God's love for you. His peace speaks to our often doubting hearts and says, look no further in your search for certainty. I am what you're looking for. It's that peace-giving power of Jesus that we see when he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. I've heard it said that the most powerful people show their strength not in might, but in gentleness. And Jesus does exactly that here. In a winsome way, he matches nearly word for word what Thomas hoped for. I mean, just imagine touching Jesus' nail-marked hands, the gash in his side. There was no doubt this is truly Jesus. And Thomas experiences a jolt of joy unlike anything he had ever felt before. And all he can get out of his mouth is, My Lord and my God. That personalness, right? In this moment, even though all the disciples are in the room, for Thomas it felt like it was just him and Jesus. My Lord. My God. Thomas saw and felt that this was still his Jesus. Yes, glorified. But Jesus' heart was still the same. 
His love and certain hope were unchanging. But this story wasn't just written for Thomas, and it's not just written about Thomas. There's another person in that room that maybe you never thought about before. As Thomas has tears of joy pouring down his face, it's almost as if Jesus turns his face away from him and looks across the room, past the gaze of the disciples, to look at someone else standing there. And he says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. As you hear Jesus' voice, all of a sudden you realize he's talking to you. He's looking at you with the same smile that brings death-defying hope. We are the ones who haven't seen yet have believed. He's talking about you. Because you know what's even better than seeing Jesus? Look at what John tells us. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by by believing, you may have life in his name. In fact, the end of the Gospel of John, we're told that if someone tried to write everything Jesus did, all the libraries on the planet Earth couldn't contain it all. So God in his grace and his wisdom and his personal love for you made sure you could hear his voice. He made sure you would know his peace. So he gave you something far better than a one-time appearance by Jesus in your life. He has given you access to his very heart through this amazing thing called the Bible. This marvelous portal to Jesus who continues to speak peace when life is chaos, who brings you hope even when the next minute seems hopeless, the Word made flesh who speaks through human language and tells you of forgiveness. He tells you of your foundness in Him, your freedom. What I'm about to say next may sound childish, but its depths haven't even been fully explored by angels. That question, how can you know all of this is true? This is how you can know because Jesus loves you. And this you know for the Bible tells you so. It's God's undeniable love found no more clearly than at the cross where we find the assurance we seek that's beyond our wildest hopes. When by faith we're assured of God's grace, assured of our status before Him, assured that there is a place at His table for us, we no longer doubt, but we rather delight. Now, many of you know I'm kind of a word nerd. So I had to look up delight, the word delight, in Merriam-Webster. And it defines delight as joy, also extreme satisfaction. So how do we fight against the thought arrows of doubt Satan fires at us every day? We fight it with delight. I mean, think of the sheer joy Thomas experienced. No doubt could take that away from him. God's Word gives you that same sheer joy. We long to be in His Word. And no one can take away God's love from you. No loss, no disappointment, no setback, no embarrassment can shatter the joy-inducing peace Jesus has won for you. The Bible isn't just information. This is the best news ever, a reality that can never be faked. A.W. Tozer, he was a pastor not too long ago, once said, It's one thing to have a lot of information about God, but it's another thing to bask in the warmth and reality of his presence. This is the grace-motivated, presence-promised life Jesus wants for you. So I'll leave you with this. About a year and a half ago, I was really struggling to find peace in my life. 
balancing pastor life, husband life, father life, it all felt so impossible. I felt like Thomas. I felt more panic than peace. And when, and it was in that moment that my wife, Abby, encouraged me to read a book called The Three Words That Will Change Your Life. It sounds like a self-help book, but it's anything but. Written by Pastor Mike Novotny, whom now, as I've gotten the chance to get to know him a little bit, certainly consider him a friend and a mentor. And he talks about living life with one sentence in the forefront of your mind and heart, a sentence that gave Thomas more joy than ever. A sentence the Bible will always tell you, God is here. Now, when you think of the word God, I want you to think of capital G, capital O, capital D, all caps. God is capitalized because by faith, when we think of God, we want to think about how otherworldly amazing he is. His infinite life-giving power, his mountain-busting power, his life-changing grace found at the cross. It's that God who is He never changes. He remains the one constant in the inconsistencies of life. It is God, all caps, who is always is and who is here. Whatever that moment is, whatever situation of life you're in, he's here. It sounds obvious, but knowing that Jesus, our God, is always here, it opens our eyes through the Spirit to see more rest, see more joy, to see more hope and to see less fear and less boredom and less drama. It's the life of delight reserved for people like you and me, broken sinners made whole by the peace of Jesus who is always here. And that's why I think a better nickname for Thomas would be Delighting Thomas. Because he kept on delighting in God, possibly all the way to India, telling people about the sure hope of Jesus. So let's forget doubt. When Jesus enters the once locked rooms of our hearts, we have no room for doubt because we're filled with pure, unfiltered delight. How great is our God. Amen. My prayer for you this week and for the rest of your life is that you do live that delight-filled life that even as we see things falling down around us, even as our country and our world for that matter seems to drift more and more away from God, you know that God is always here. And may that give you joy and peace as you live your life this week and as you live your life forever. Until that day when the real story begins, when we finish the preamble that happens here on earth and we get to experience the grand narrative of being with our Savior forever. God's richest blessings, you live for him now and always.